everyone and welcome to the Monday Lorians, where we have a casual chat about Star Wars over a cup of Jawa juice to brighten up your week. Here we discuss the stories, themes, characters and our own personal experiences from a galaxy far, far away. I'm Jake Hart and today we'll be discussing the first four shorts of Visions Volume 2, which was recently released on May the 4th on Disney+. Unfortunately, Dave and Niall could not be on this episode, but I won't be doing this alone. Coming back on the show is Rob Ayling and Laura Filmer, good friends of the show. How you doing, Rob? I'm very well, thank you, mate. And how are you doing, good sir? Yes, I'm doing good. Excited to talk about Visions with you guys. Uh, Laura as well, how are you doing? Like you, you were only on just the last episode on our May the 4th um, edition. Well, in that time, I've I've been ill, but like I couldn't miss talking about Star Wars. Always an excuse. Always makes me feel better as well. When I'm ill, put on put on Star Wars makes me feel instantly better. So, uh, Rob, I'll I'll, uh, I'll start with you. How's your sort of week been? And uh, sort of this new uh, segment that we've introduced into the Monday Lorians is Star Wars encounters in life, where we think sometimes Star Wars encounters you in life in the most strangest places. Uh, could be as big as going to see a film or could be as small as, like I said to Laura, seeing Yoda ice creams in the supermarket. <laughs> uh, so uh, how's in general, how's your uh, week been at the minute? How's London life? And have you had any recent Star Wars encounters? Um, life is good, man. I mean, you know, I'm keeping creatively busy, you know, and I, I think no surprise to many people that, um, you know, I've got many projects on the go at the moment. Um and um, one in particular, which actually does tie into my kind of Star Wars um, themed connection of the week, as it were. So I went to meet with um, a direct photographer and um, really wonderful um, person. But I knew already that we were going to get along very quickly. I mean, we'd met prior to our meeting in person again, but I knew that there was going to be like a good conversation. But also by the end of it. We ended up saying to one another, yeah, we're going to have to work with each other on this production that we're working on now. And the reason was because she was wearing a Star Wars 45th anniversary hat. And I was just like, all right, I, the, the force is strong here. Like the force is with me today and with this meeting. And, you know, she even said as well, I, I love this hat. I got this from so-and-so. And it's it's like an action figure, classic action figures hat. So from the 45th anniversary and yeah, it's, it was so dope. <laughs> and um, like I said, I just knew in that moment that it was going to be a very good meeting and it was, it was an excellent meeting. So now we are now going to collaborate on my next short film production um, together, which, um, you know, there'll be more over the cross uh, across this year updates on that as well. So um, um, a good week with a bit of Star Wars and force, uh, connectivity there yeah so like when you're on set doing this and you're struggling with a problem you look at each other and go what would lucas do 
in this. Oh, sense. absolutely. I mean, I'm always constantly doing that, except I'm prob- most people think I'm talking to my beard because I call my beard Lucas. Or, um, okay, it, it's, it it's of, got a name. It, it's sentient. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, it either chops and changes between um, Coppola or, or Lucas, but I think at the moment we're, we're sticking with Lucas. Not De Palma, so. then. Oh, no, no, not De Palma. No, 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 no. Um, if I'm in a very... What um, is this rubbish? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what is this? Let me write this crawl for you. Um, but, yeah, no, um, we're, we're sticking with Lucas at the moment. And, um, yeah, um, yeah, Lucas um, for the Lucas moment. the Beard. Lucas the Beard. Lucas the Wise. Lucas the Wise. Well, you need a couple more greys in there before you get... Um... Oh, dude, I'm, it sounds so de- so depressing as the 32-year-old to be pointing out I'm getting greys in my beard already. And it's like, even my mum the other day, she was like, oh, yeah, you're going to be a silver fox very quickly. And I'm like, I'd rather be a wolf than a fox, but thank you. Um... <laughs> hey, I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm getting some of mine and I'm all here for it. Bring mm. me that grey. Mm. Bring me then, that great. Then we'll be able to do Ben Kenobi. You know, like I was, I, I was Obi Rob Kenobi at Star Wars Celebration. Next, heck, in twenty twenty five in Japan, I'll probably be old wise Ben Kenobi by then. That's what we want to see. I want to eventually. <laughs> I want to shave my head and go as a monk Boba Fett, like uh, <laughs> returning from the dead. I've been tracking you, Rob. <laughs> Please go by as saying you're a band, uh, on a banther. I'm a banther, yeah, like a banther, yeah, of like course. They need to do that next celebration, like everyone dressed as like Boba Fett going like a banther down the hallway or something like that. I'm just coming up with all sorts of these things now because it's just so much fun after seeing the the one way out one. Oh, that was, yeah, that was extraordinary seeing that. I, I, they just hope they do more of these. <laughs> it's just, it's great fun. You know, continue the legacy of Will Rowe Hood. When uh, we went to, um, so one of the after parties we went to, we just, we were doing that chant, but also this is the way to the certain beats of the song. So, and also I started and I, I don't know if we ever got respond, but we actually filmed something for Ahmed Best. So we were in, um, <laughs> we were in um, the, one of the after parties and I started the chant, Ahmed Best. Oh man, but and literally everyone started chanting in and everything up and hopefully we'll get a response. But if we don't, we don't. But you know, our love for that man and everything he's done for Star Wars as well as yeah. Um yeah. Very f- nerd-fueled conversation already, and I love it. Um <laughs> I would say on the topic of Ahmed Best, like when I was at Celebration, when I saw Hayden Christensen on the Celebration live stage. Just before they, they he came out, you know, they were bigging up like, do you want to see this, you know, guest? And, you know, and everyone's getting all riled up and stuff. You know, they've been over in Star Wars for 20 years. They've recently come back to the franchise. And I said to Chloe, I was like, please, please, Ahmed Best. Because, like, if it was Ahmed Best, especially after his appearance on The Mandalorian, man, what a do. Okay, Hayden Christensen, great. I love it. But there was a part of me that was like, oh, I wish it was Ahmed Best. <laughs> like, that no, would be... I, 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 felt, I felt the same way, actually, to be honest with you, um, because there was actually surprise. Uh, th- that's the thing I really enjoyed about Star Wars Celebration as well, that there were a lot of surprises. Like, I don't think we expected um, the Cal Kestis himself to appear on Star Wars Celebration stage, but he was there. And he gave somebody a poncho. And he gave somebody a poncho, you know, and that was great. Um, and um, sorry, I know you've gone through Star Wars Celebration already, but just for but it was so dope, man. It was so great. So, so good. Definitely. Can't, can't wait for the next one. 
Laura, how, how about you? How was your May the 4th? I spent like over £100 on the Disney store on Star Wars. Stuff. <laughs> um, Amazing. That was my May the 4th. Um, what did you get? What did you get? So I got some pins. There was a really cool Boba Fett Return of the Jedi pin. Um, that's like one of my big obsessions is collecting Disney pins. Um, I also got, I got the Lego speeder bike chase. Set. Oh yeah, yeah. The diorama series, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't like build it when it arrives because I've got nowhere to display it, which is kind of a shame because it's such like a really like cool little diorama. I think it's probably one of the best ones they've released personally. And yeah. then I bought a Mandalorian jigsaw set. Um, I had my eye on it for ages, and I was just like, ah, oh, you know what? I'm buying other stuff. I might as well add it to the basket. So I kind of went a little bit nuts. But I've also bought like other Star Wars stuff this week as well. So like my bank account kind of hates me right now. But I just sort of took the excuse. It's May the 4th. Why not? That's my excuse. It's May the 4th. It's May, Star Wars month in general, you know, really. Uh, post-celebration, I'm still, you know, I still want to buy stuff. And yeah, like you, I, I uh, ordered stuff on May the 4th, which came really early, I have to say. And I got my... <laughs> my... <laughs> <laughs> my Ewok corn. That was which, the most... <laughs> which I saw on the Disney store, um, like pretty much like 8 a.m., 9 a.m. And I was like, well, I've got to buy that. <laughs> like, Wasn't it like £20? Yeah, £22 or something like that. Um, I mean, Jake, you messaged me saying, should I get a lightsaber uh, uh, as well? And I thought... You have to do that. But now that I've seen the horn and I heard that just, I mean, look, we're over this particular platform at the minute, but hearing that just then was quite possibly the most underwhelming horn I have ever oh, yeah. heard. No, it, it, it doesn't actually do, do the, do, 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 do. you know, that would have been great, but that probably would have bumped up the price. But look, absolutely, my justification was that you don't really see, I've never seen like a Ewok horn merchandise. I was like, that's pretty cool. So the lightsaber, however, was much bigger expense, Rob. So true. Although that imagine that being as your business expense, though. What's this one hundred and eighty pounds for a lightsaber for? Oh, it's a it's an business expense. That, um, I wouldn't have to explain that just to my accountant. I'd have to explain that mm. to Dave and Niall as well. I mean, oh, yeah, he, true. <laughs> he did message me about it as well, and it seems like it. <laughs> I was like, you've got to get it. I was like, it's I a need, great I needed, I needed to get different opinions, and I realized you were all tempted by the dark side. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I was in did, the right. <laughs> why didn't you listen to any of us? Can I just ask, Laura, did you send the same gif as I did, which was basically Emperor Palpatine saying, do it? I, do, I couldn't, right, literally, I couldn't find the gif on my phone. <laughs> which was, like, I was actually gutted. So I literally just had to put, do it. But, like, Hope and Jake would imagine it in mm. Palpatine's voice. Yeah. Oh, oh. I, I can't, I can't not imagine, exactly. even in real life situations when someone says, yeah, do it. I'm like, do it. It's like every time a customer comes up to me at work and goes, hello there. I'm literally biting my tongue not to go, General Kenobi. Like, mm. it takes everything in me not to do it. Same, same, same. Because then people look at you funny. Like, I remember sat recently someone at work saying, yeah, um, don't worry, I'll negotiate it. And I almost said to him, the negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was like, I can't oh. do that. People think I'm weird or weirder than they already think I am. Um, I, just, I just love the fact that, I mean, I'm sure that we can say this, but now that King Charles has now been crowned, I love the fact that we all collectively went, oh my God, it's the Snoke attire. He's, he's cosplayed. He's actually gone there. He's gone down that route. I'm like, yes. 
I love this community. It's making the rounds on social media. The yeah. Ch- King Charles Supreme Leader Smith <laughs> comparisons. Yeah. He is the Supreme Leader. The only thing he's missing is his gold slippers. Like, uh, Oh, I'm, I, I have no doubt he was wearing gold slippers. Come on. Every other post on Twitter was literally just somebody comparing Charles to Snow. And I've lost count of how many I've seen so far. Yeah, I, I particularly had fun putting the Snoke's theme <laughs> over the, <laughs> the, the, the ceremony. <laughs> I was watching, I was like, this fits scarily well. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> Can I just say really quickly, like recently, you know, when you get challenged like by your bank about like certain purchases you make, yes. like you go to Star Wars Celebration, right? You spend so much money there. Do you know the thing that I got challenged for recently? The most recent thing. I, I, I bought a, a new bed from, uh, from Argos, and I got challenged for that. So out of all of everything that you get challenged for, they're like, oh, no, Forbidden Planet, Star Wars Celebration, that all seems to check out. Argos! Oh, this is a fraud. This is a fraud right here. Hang on a second. We need to are check you, on this. Are you becoming an adult? We need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Have you started buying adult things and I know, stopped buying toys? I, I can't, but it, it, it's a shock to the system, I know, even for me. And do you know what the worst thing is right now? You can see two things. One, hanging proudly, is that Star Wars Vision 2 poster. And secondly, the bed itself. It still yes, has not been just, assembled. Just be- <laughs> You'll just sleep on that. Yeah, I'll just sleep on the cardboard <laughs> box. I'm basically a giant cat. I'll unbox it and then just see the box and just tie myself within that. And, yeah, uh, you look at the pieces and go, no. Yeah. <laughs> just... I only use Argos for Lego. Yeah. Yeah, li- literally, like that is it. Argos always get the best Lego deals. They do That's have true. good deals. That's true. They yeah. do have good... I don't know why, but they, they, are, they do always have good Lego deals. And Amazon mm. as well. But then Amazon, yeah. That's, mm. that's them. Anyway, uh, moving away from Amazon and Jeff Bezos' money, let's move on to Star Wars and Lucasfilm's money uh, (laughs) because they can just pump it out. So we're going to be talking about Visions Volume 2. As I said, it was released on May the 4th, just a few days ago. We're going to be covering the first four shorts uh, titled Sith, Screech's Reach, In the Stars, and I Am Your Mother. Uh, But before we get into that, I just want to get sort of a general vibe of what we think of this very concept of visions because uh, we unfortunately didn't do um, an episode or a dedicated episode about volume one when that came out which was was that last year or was the year before it was 2020 i believe 20 no i think so i, I thought it was so. 21 oh it I might be it might be 21 yeah i think it's 20 21 yeah I felt like I watched it during lockdown. That's the only reason why we I were say still it. pretty much. We had a lockdown we, in twenty one. Yeah, we did. So we did. Yes. So yeah. yeah. It might have been around that. So yeah, twenty twenty one. So it's been two years. Uh, but we didn't really do a full deep dive episode into it. We kind of chatted about it here and there. Um, so I'll start with you, Laura. Like, without actually kind of thinking about the episodes or the of of the the content itself, what do you think of this concept of Lucasfilm going to animation studios, firstly in Japan, and then going global and saying hey do you have a star wars story to story to tell come play in this field and don't worry about the canon just do what you want i like it like i i really think it's a very clever idea because it gives so many different people of like so many different backgrounds and cultures the opportunity to tell their own version of star wars but keep it say quite close to like their culture and their their country and I will be honest, I haven't seen all of season one because like Japanese, like anime and manga, it's it's not my thing personally. 
But I find, like, with animation, to be honest with any animation, you get, like, a certain beauty from it. You can capture beauty in a certain way compared to, like, live action. So it's nice to be able to see a different side to Star Wars, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Rob, what, what did you think of the concept, like, even before watching it, when Lucasfilm said, this is what we're doing? Well, I mean, uh, for me, it's combining the two things I absolutely love, um, which is Star Wars and animation, and both of which are, you know, ingrained in my childhood in terms of, like, growing up with it, but also starting my career in animation. So I, um, very briefly, I did... Um, do stop motion animation before jumping into live action um, filmmaking. And I used to do hand-drawn animation as well. I'm actually a trained cartoonist as well. Um, So being able to see Star Wars being played within that realm and that medium is extraordinary. And we've seen, you know, obviously um, Lucasfilm with their American studios do incredible things. And um, for me, what I love about Star Wars Visions, and this pretty much sums up not just the first, but also the second season for, as well for me, is that you're giving essentially um, a voice to those that are considered underrepresented um, or the voiceless, as it were. You know, And I think that's an extraordinary gift to give back to um, not just the industry, but to that world of Star Wars as well, because I know a lot of people do think it's a very Americanized franchise, despite the fact that it does cross many cultures. Um, in terms of not just the alien species, but literal cultures of, you know, human beings. And to be able to give this world now to um, other animation studios across the world, of course, starting in Japan first, but now, you know, giving it to, um, well, we'll get back to that episode later on, but, uh, you know, to to do it, um, to give it to, say, like um, um, a production company in India, I think is really inspiring for me. And um, it's just so refreshing to see and hear these new stories told in such an extraordinary way. Yeah, I'd have to agree on everything you said. Like, for me, I've always thought from the beginning, first primarily going to Japan, I thought it was a great idea because of knowing Lucas's influences in Akira Kusara films and just Japanese culture and stuff like that. And then in within the making of Star Wars, the whole sort of world and lore. You know, Lucas took a lot of inspiration from a lot of different mythologies, not just uh, Western mythologies, but, you know, going all the way to East, uh, East Asia with Japanese, Chinese, uh, Indonesian, uh, Indian philosophy, you know, Buddhism as well is all elements that he's pulling from to create something universal. You know, I think that was his whole goal. Like you said, Rob, it is very, consider- very much considered an American franchise, but at the same time, I don't think so, because you go to any country in the world and they know Star Wars and they have some connection to Star Wars in some way or another. Um, so I very much see it as a, the company. Luke's film is very American, but I see Star Wars as a very universal thing. Um, so, yes, to give the people an opportunity to play in this world, you know, and get get to give their perspectives on Star Wars, because it's also, even though it is universal, it's told through an American Western lens. Um, you do get different types of storytelling when you go to different parts of the world. Um, so this is why I, I've always said that when Hollywood tries to do live action remakes of anime films, I'm like, they never work because you're just constantly missing the, the different aspects of storytelling that the Japanese do. 
you know, it's just so different and they're talking about things in a different way. It just doesn't communicate to a Western audience unless what I say is you just take the core themes and you make them Westernized, you know, for the Western audience to understand. Um, but I still think if you're wanting to be a fan of media in general and art and creativity, you need to, I think, push yourself and invest the time into watching and reading things in different languages, different cultures, different perspectives, watching those subtitles. I know for not, it doesn't work for everyone, but I think it's something powerful about hearing the creators in their original voice telling this story. Um, so when they got to volume one with uh, Japanese, I was like, excellent. This is exactly what, it makes total sense, you know, even more so than like the global aspects. But this one was like, yeah, you know, awesome. Samurai, Jedi, we all love that sort of stuff. Um, and then, you know, we get to the global, uh, the global aspect of volume two, which I think was a big boost in terms of like, oh, okay, we can, this volume one played out well. What if we gave other people a chance to, you know, say their voices? And uh, so, yeah, you, you said you haven't finished all of volume one, uh, Laura, but what you, what you have seen, what did you think of volume one? Sort of initial thoughts. I, I did. I liked what I saw, but it's not something that I would say go back to. It's a style of animation that I've always like struggled with, and that's nothing like against it at all. I do genuinely think it is absolutely like it is incredible, and I understand completely why people love it so much. It's just not something that I've ever really loved, but I do like the way of the storytelling. Um, honestly, the best one for me was the first episode. Was it Ronan? The duel, that, yeah. Yes, the duel. That was it with Rotten. That was, to be honest, that was incredible. Like it, it literally felt like I was watching like a fifties like film, like something like Kurosawa or something. It was incredible, and you can see, it's like the well, it's probably. I think it takes everything that inspired like George Lucas, and then they just whacked it in an animated episode, which at the end of the day was great. I mean. I will finish that series, but from what I've seen of series one compared to two, I do prefer series two, personally. But that's just because of the type of animation styles that I'm into. It's like not everybody's into like stop like motion. Yeah, or like even like 3D. It's not for pe like other people. That's just my opinion. Mm. No, I'm with you. I, I think anime... I'll admit is intimidating sometimes uh, like uh, as, a, as a person who's already steeped in nerd and geek culture even I'm like whoa anime that's like a whole nother different thing you know <clears throat> because even within anime it's not just anime there's so many different styles and different like ways of anime and stuff like that um, but the type of anime I've always been interested in is some of the more old school sort of uh, Akira Ghost in the Shell uh, the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex series and stuff like that. So that's sort of more like my 80s, 90s stuff because it's primarily the stuff that I was watching when I was younger. Um, but I didn't sort of grow up with anime into my adulthood. So when I appreciate anime, but sometimes I'm very much like, whoa, this is like a lot because it, and, and it was reflected some in some of the episodes in volume one where in particular the twins, I was like, this is the last Jedi on MDMA because... <laughs> Uh, it's just so wild and so bonkers where I'm like, this is awesome. It doesn't work for me as a Star Wars fan, but I appreciate what it's doing. You know, there is definitely a, pe a certain people out there who will gush over this type of animation and to see it in Star Wars as well it is great for them. But 
Rob, what did you think of Volume 1 and your sort of history with anime? So I absolutely adored Season 1 of Visions. Because um, as mentioned before, it opened up the scale of where we can go in terms of animation and um, bringing out these very outlandish landish stories uh, the, the 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 twins um the twins is a perfect example of that never in my lifetime would i thought i'd see a lightsaber duel in space but let alone having them doing a light speed um final attack with a lightsaber in hand you know slicing through an opponent i thought never see that i mean it's as you said, only the blade destroys the star drill and then it goes yeah. teeny tiny to get the kyber crystal. <laughs> exactly, and you know, and as you perfectly said, only somebody on drugs probably could have thought of something like that, which I think is extraordinary mindset to think of anyway. But like, just yeah, the ideas of it is is really extraordinary. The other thing I didn't think I'd see, which is in the episode that you described, Laura, which is um, having a Sith warrior having an umbrella, a lightsaber for umbrellas. I thought I'd never see that in my lifetime, and yet I have now seen that, and now I want an umbrella with lightsabers. In fact, we in the uh, shout out to the cosplayer that we yeah, saw at celebration. I was just about to say, like, so we were very blessed to be in that visions panel, and she was there, and she was extraordinary. She looked incredible, and and, and that's the other thing as well within this is that you know there are what I loved about what I do love about the Star Wars community as a whole, but at celebration in particular, is that there are so many different ways to access Star Wars now that there is such a connectivity to this world and um, people are now being em are embracing those different sides of Star Wars to the point where they're now dressing up as a character which is so considered very small in you know high regard like that character is only five minutes of a larger world you know, and they're cosplaying as that character. It speaks to them in some way, not just because it's powerful. a cool look. It's very powerful, exactly. And um, may that continue, basically. But um, in terms of your, your second part of the question, which was about the animation style itself, it's what I've been taught on. So I'm always going to have a very much big appreciation for that, that hand-drawn animation style. And I love movies, um, like Spirited Away, um, How's um, Moving Castle, and um, Pocoroco. Um, I just anything I love Studio Ghibli. Yeah, is, anything yes. Studio Ghibli. I I'm always in for. So to see that implemented, uh, that style, I should say, because it's not that studio, but that style is always welcomed, in my opinion. And um, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but. And as you said, it is very intimidating. I also think what's very intimidating as well, because I remember as a kid watching, there was it's quite infamous, but not to jump too much into this because it's a different franchise, but I remember there was an infamous Pokemon episode where the strobe lighting was too much for the, you know, and they had to not show that episode in the UK because it was too much in Japan when they first aired it. And it's the same principle that you can take with um, certain movies like um, Akira or Ghost in the Shell. The strobe lighting effect and even the outlandish action set pieces within that it can be incredibly overwhelming to the point where you go okay this is so out of my own comfort zone but at the same time that's what i love about animation is you are outside of your own comfort zone and you're outside of a different world entirely very much like the old the whole auteur thing of 
you create your own different world entirely as a filmmaker, as a storyteller. And that is very much an embodiment of animators and animation directors. Yeah, I think what I really love about animation in particular, because like you, Rob, I've just cut cartoons and animations just always been my thing from an early childhood going back to, you know, Batman the Animated Series, X-Men the Animated Series and all that sort of stuff. Um, even Star Wars, you know, that 2D Star Wars micro series, mm. Clone Wars, the, the um, so Tarnakoski one from Carter. Excellent stuff. So good. Um, but yeah, and I've, in a way, like recently, I've kind of even been preferring storytelling within animation, uh, Star Wars specifically, than some of the live action stuff. Just because there's something you can do with animation that you just can't quite craft or it's very difficult to craft in live action. And I think what what you can do in animation is you can really set a mood and, a, and an atmosphere that is really hard to achieve in live action because you've got so many different people and stuff like that. But when you're in an animation studio, you're controlling everything, every little aspect. Um, and I think that it can be some cons to that, but I think there's a lot of um, pros to that as well uh, about what type of stories you can create, which is why I've been loving The Bad Batch. You know, this is one of my favorite shows. Um yeah, great stuff. I, and yeah, I would agree with you all. Probably the duel is my favorite out of volume one. You know, uh, I, ever since they released that, I was like, they need to make a feature out of this. Uh, and and if any, if I can actually add a little side thing, I would say to Lucasfilm, don't go for it, man. Like, make animated features, release those in cinemas. Look how well Pixar do. Look how well the Disney uh, films do. Um, do it. You know, you have enough of an audience now. Like, so many people love animation. Like, I understand back in the Clone Wars days, it was a very small group of Star Wars fans that were watching Clone Wars. But now, it's it's, it's as big, if not bigger than the films now, you know, the animation department. Um, and on the, the what you're saying about the cosplay, Rob, I think it's extremely important to not only see yourself in the stories, but become you know, be part of those stories in the sense that you, I can dress up as this character uh, and it makes sense, you know? Mm. Like, there's no problem with uh, you dressing up as Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. But if you could dress up as one of the bandits from Golak, you know, it's yeah. like, yes, that oh, yeah. is actually me. You know, you, you don't, mm. you see Luke for what he represents, but you don't see yourself in Luke, but mm -hmm. you see yourself in the bandits of Golak. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more great stuff so uh, i wish we could talk about that now but that is <laughs> yeah. for the next episode so we'll get into volume two so the first one is sith so this one was produced by el giri studios uh, which is based in spain and it was written and directed by rodrigo blas uh, the, the synopsis is a former sith apprentice finds their peaceful life threatened now this i thought very much like the duel was a really good way to open up this volume, I think, with plenty of action, you know, very vivid colors. Uh, but let's get into it. Laura, what did you think of this first one, Sith? I really enjoyed it. I mean, it took me a few minutes to get used to the animation style because I, I get it to personally to me, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but it looked like it was a blend of like 2D with like 3D. Yeah. And it took me like a few minutes to kind of adjust to it because one minute I'd be like, is it 3D? Is it 2D? And then in the end, was just, I like just forget about it, just roll with it. But I, I think it might have been Dave who posted this, and I agree with him. I want a full feature length of this in this animation form. I thought it was really clever, especially like 
when it starts, obviously it starts like with the light and obviously, and you think, oh, you know, like light side of the force and immediately goes into the dark. And then immediately, like the second it goes in the dark, it's just kind of like, yeah, like you, you know where it's going. Like I know it's called Sith, but I didn't expect the lead character to be a Sith. I mean, I know it's pre- basically in the synopsis, but I didn't read the synopsis. I just went into it knowing nothing. And hang on, I'm reading my notes. I can't read and talk at the same That's time. Right. I like, but no, the, what, I'll go back to the animation. What I liked with the animation is that it didn't feel like it was fully finished. And I liked that a lot. And I thought it was quite, a, I want to say like bold and like kind of like daring style of animation because it's different to what I've ever seen. Like with 2D, everything's like all bright block colours. This wasn't, this was different. It was daring it, and I really enjoyed that. Oh, and I really want to point out, because I've got this in all capitals, by the way, the droid, when it shot the head off one of the hunters. Oh! Literally, like, yeah. I, that got a cheer from me, that one. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get over it. Like, I was like, oh, this cute little droid, and the next thing it, like, takes this guy's head off. It was like, oh. But, like, yeah, I liked him. I thought he was really cute. That's my thoughts on it. Awesome. Yeah, I think, for me, what this short I loved about so much was that it has everything you want, kind of want in Star Wars. It has cute droids. It has lightsaber battles. It has uh, fast um, chase scenes. You know, it has blaster fire. It has deep, provocative themes, and it has in- intense visuals. Like it's just the melting pot of Star Wars stew, but just in a different lens. Um, f- when I first saw. Uh, the trailer to this, which was in the Visions 2 panel, which we were at, Rob, um, I was immediately hooked on, because the, the opening shot of the trailer was the, the Sith Master, you know, coming through that hallway and stuff, and I was immediately hooked on it because uh, one of my favorite animated films as of recently is... Wait, let me get it the name right, because there's another one. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Across the Spider-Verse is the new one. Just making... Um, and what I loved about that film was that it was, like you said, Laura, bold and daring with this new animation style of 2D mixed with 3D. Um, so I very much saw this as like a continuation of what's been set up by Sony um, and also what they got to follow through in another incredible animation film, which I think everybody should check out on Netflix, The Mitchells versus The Machines. Oh, which is, great film. Yeah, great film. film. A fantastic film. So I see this very much as a continuation of this new type of animation style, which I absolutely adore. I think it's so cool, so creative what you can do with it to blend these two different styles together. Uh, and yeah, Laura, like you were saying, like to have just these white spaces, you know, as of almost feels like they haven't finished that. It's not colored in or anything like that, but they're using it to tell this kind of story of light versus dark, the contrast between the two. And then with this character's journey of finding out that, it's all color. It all makes sense that you have to find the balance between it all. So yeah, very bold, daring animation choices, but I all felt it was very intentional with the story they're trying to tell, especially that opening scene where, you know, she's like having that bad dream. It's all stark white, but you just have that splashes of black just in the corner around her. Uh, I just thought it was really, really well done and visually fantastic. What about, what about you, Rob? what do you think of Sith? Um, I, I mean, I echo both everything that you've said, um, and especially in regards to the whole Spider-Verse vibes, this, you know, I, I instantly saw that in the trailer as well, but even throughout this, I was like, you know, it's, it's clearly 
in you know they've gone for that kind of realm with it you know that kind of style um i have basically kind of two responses to this i can i can give you basically a comedic response to this but i can also give you the more you know artistic kind of uh, give us both the theoretical side of it all right i'll give you both so for me the funny side of it was because the first thing i wrote down was this is a really good analogy between the artist just trying to work with a client who's really a pain in the ass. Like, you know, do you know what I mean? It's like, you will make these changes. You will do it this way. You will be this kind of creative. And I'm like, no, I want to be an artist. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I want to be this. And that, you know, that to one side. Um, <laughs> the actual way of looking at it for me was, this was pretty much, if you were to say to somebody... Um, recommend me a Visions episode. I would say the first episode of Visions um, season one initially, but now I would say this one because this one pretty much embodies the spirit of what Star Wars Visions is. And the fact that it's about art itself is also self-reflectory within that. So the lines that really struck me was, I can paint my own destiny, you know? And that is essentially what carries through the entirety of Star Wars Visions. We do paint our own destiny. We do create our own destiny within the, the realms of this medium. And there were some really extraordinary moments within this. And I mean, you've, you've highlighted already just how visually stunning it is, but just little bits here and there that I wanted to highlight. Like, I love the fact that the aspect ratio changes from 2351 to a full 1815 when she enters the room and it becomes like a bigger canvas. I, I love didn't that. spot that. I didn't spot yeah. that. I need to no, see I didn't that. Spot that either. Yeah. It's go when you when she enters the next room, she the, the cat and it's the robot as well that like rolls in. The canvas actually goes bigger and the, the, the aspect ratio goes bigger. And I just thought that was inspired. I love the fact that you know you're entering a bigger canvas within that. Um I love that the droid looks like Starkiller base with legs. I thought that was really cool. Um, you've already mentioned already shooting the head off. Loved that. I thought the music was um, very fitting for the tone of the piece. It almost felt like a Mad Max Fury Road Junkie XL score, which I'd, again, I didn't think I'd see in a Star Wars uh, production at all. Um, and also just, I mean, this is what, you know, Star Wars, there's many things about Star Wars, but the whole light and darkness factor and the fact that ultimately can we ever truly escape our dark side? And the answer is no, we can't, but we can channel it. That's the, the, the theme of this episode. And I just thought it was, if you wanted to teach that to a child, this is probably the best way to do that. And if you really wanted to teach a child about what you can do with your art and what it speaks to you, this is the episode that you would introduce them to within that. Um, also, I just want to say very quickly as well that I thought the design of the, the other Sith is so, so cool. Like, such a great look. And I wouldn't be surprised in 2025 or even sometime at the end of this year, we're going to see more cosplayers dressing up as that particular Sith or even the, the main Sith as well. Um, also, can I just quickly say, I think it's incredibly refreshing to see more female-led stories being in this Star Wars universe, and in particular, seasons two of Visions. And female-led dark side stories. There you go. As exactly. well, because, you know, we get a lot of uh, female heroes, but we don't get enough villains, I would say. In no, the, we and, don't. And we the Acolyte's going to change that, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that as, it's really moving what you said there, because I kind of see it as, like, this is 
a lesson of the dark side in the sense of like, there's two ways you can approach the dark side, you know? Um, the dark side would always be there. That's why you need to find the balance in, in it. So you can either give in to that dark side and become the Sith master, you know, and you can become the very embodiment of the Sith and the corruption of force and the balance. Or you can accept the dark side is always there. And like you said, challenge, uh, channel that, challenge that as well and find out how you can control it or, you know, use it for the benefit of others. In this case, in your case, art, you know. And yeah, that line, I had it written down here as well, I can paint my own destiny, um, is a particular line that moved me because it would have been so easy to say, you know, I'll craft my own destiny or any of these other cliche lines. But the fact that they use paint, you know, linking that again with the concept of art and creativity um, is funny. And I, I do, I, I never thought about it, but it kind of makes sense when you said there's like this sort of meta sub message of a, a client of like... <laughs> Just let me work, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, just let me do my thing. <laughs> I'll say I'll do it end of play this this day and let me do it this way. Or, you know, just back off, you know? Um, but yeah. I also particularly love, like, with the sort of the themes and the story they're going for, um, again, with the animation style of when she has to go through that dark tunnel to get into basically her paint. I thought that was really well done in the animation, how... You are literally got this much color as you are walking through the screen, but you and you feel the claustrophobic nature of it, and then you get into the big sort of canvas room, I guess, yeah. where she starts doing the paintings and stuff, which is yeah, it is great. Yeah, it's a very nice subtle hint of as well to like going into the the forest, you know, like in um, Empire Strikes Back, and I just think that's a really clever way of delving within that. And um, as I said um, before, with the aspect ratio change, that's a bigger you know, hint of what are things to come. So yeah, I just thought it was really well done. Really, really strong episode. Yeah, definitely. Any anything else to add, Laura, for about this I'd episode? I'd like a part two of that to this episode. Well, yeah, this is the thing. I actually I uh, I kinda already knew this, but on upon when I rewatched them all, volume one included, I was like all of these shorts have like stories that's like, hey, hey, Disney, mm. do you want to give us another one? You know, it's like they've always leave on a sort of cliffhanger in a sense. So, yeah, I, like I'm with Dave. I want to see a, a feature presentation of this. You know, give me a full 90 minutes, 100 minutes of this. This would be fantastic. Mm. Um, I think last things I say about this one is just some of the action beats as well. Mm. So good. Like that bike that she has please i want that as an action figure uh the <laughs> fact that you know it just she as she like moves along and you have that big wheelie bike thing uh and then my highlight for me is that when she's being chased by like the sith droid things um when she does that sort of 360 on the bike and brings out the blasters and starts knocking it oh fist pumping i was like yes this is star wars right here um and I also last thing on this uh, did you guys watch it in the original language of Spanish? Or I did. You did. I did. Wait, could you? How do you watch it in the original language? So you just you just that. go up to the settings uh, and you change the audio. I kind of wish I'd done that. Now I didn't realize you could do that. I was just kind of expecting it. It was going to be in Spanish, but that it was in English. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, so it's made by a Spanish studio, but obviously with English dialogue. I was like. Okay, I'm going to go back and then rewatch them like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think th they obviously recorded two sets of casts. So they recorded an English cast and a Spanish cast for this. 
Uh, so mm. the default, unfortunately, uh, this is one critique I'd say, and this is not on the actual visions thing. This is more on Disney as a company and the Disney Plus platform. Mm. Have that as the default option. This is the language it was created yeah. in. Just have it that. And it look if people can get on board with subtitles, that's fair enough. Just go up there and change it to English. That's fine. Yeah. But I, I think the default option should be the language. Yeah, that was the first thing I picked up on was the fact that it wasn't in Spanish. And I was like, oh, I was like, I, I just assumed it would be. Yeah. I mean, the Spanish actors, so they've got the accents. Yep. Do one better. Give us the language, I say. Um, but yeah, no, I watched it both in English and Spanish. On my rewatch, it was English so I could just not have to, so I, in a way I could more focus on the details and not have to read the subtitles. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that was that was sort of my plan of action. Uh, awesome. So that's Sith, uh, produced by El Geary Studios, and like I said, written and directed by Rodrigo Blas. Awesome, that one. Uh, we'll get into the next one now. So this one's Screechers Reach, produced by Cartoon Saloon, who are based in Ireland. This one was written by Will Collins and Jason Tamagi. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, and directed by Paul Young. And the synopsis for this one is a young girl out on an adventure with her friends, discovers a legendary cave with a dark pool. Ooh, it's a ghost story. So um, I actually say before going into this actual short, I want to say that there was a, the Visions panel did actually help me a lot going into this volume as a whole um, because we got to hear from the different creators and their sort of thoughts and insights about what they were trying to craft with, with each of their shorts. And that really helped me going into it, knowing having a bit of background of what this kind of thing was going to be, which maybe helped why I preferred volume two compared to volume one, because there was a lot of wild ideas that I was like, wasn't expecting in a sense. You know, one small little thing is like the bandits of Golak, like the Inquisitor is based off an Indian demon god, mm. uh, yeah. which they don't talk about in the actual shorts. You know, so if you don't know that information, it, you, you, you just think it's an Inquisitor. But the fact that I know that, I'm like, ah, that's just, it's, it's cool little culture things like that that I like. Um, so for me to hear from the cartoon saloon that this was going to be a ghost story, I thought it does make kind of perfect sense for Ireland. Ireland does have a rich history of ghost stories and stuff like that. And this one in particular was one of the most anticipated ones by Cartoon Saloon because they have, have a good track record of animation at the minute, especially with their recent Wolf Walkers, which I thought was... Um, a fantastic film as well. Uh, Laura, what did you think of this one in Screechers Reach and hearing Irish voices? This one, I've literally not stopped thinking about because when you like go into the themes of it all, it is so dark. And I think that's kind of what like shocked me the most. Like I know Star Wars has got like dark themes throughout the entire like, you know, film trilogies and the live action series and obviously others. But this kind of like, it really like hit me like I was not expecting it to go that dark so obviously up until like so far into the episode I just thought this was like gonna be just a really cute little like adventure so I think where everybody's from there's those like legends those like stories of like you know or you know there's a creature that like lives in the woods or whatever basically so like on that one like element of it you could kind of relate to it because it's just like oh it's like this is gonna be like a cute little adventure you know going to find like you know the ghost that screeches reach until she gets like in the cave and then it just it took an immediate turn where i was like i don't like this like it really really freaked me out and 
I thought, oh, it'll be, it'll be fine, you know, that nothing's good or bad's going to happen to the kids. You know, they'll be fine. Yeah, this is Star Wars, you know. Anakin kills younglings, so, you know, bad stuff happens to the kids all the time. And I don't know why I kind of expected, like... So I'm basically going to class it as, like, a banshee. Like, what's the ghost? Like, my first thought when I saw her was, like, it, I immediately thought, like, a banshee. So when she was trapped and, obviously, like, the saber was, like, tossed across the room and then the little girl's, like, reaching to go to the light, my first thought was, oh, is this little girl, like, symbolising, like, you know, the Jedi, the light, you know, the banshee's, like, the Sith? No, I was not expecting this child to pick up the lightsaber and then we hear the noise of it and, effectively, she's probably... it's assume that she's killed this banshee totally was not expecting that at all and then the next thing that surprised me was when the ship comes down and it's like a sith that comes out and basically says for like well done you've basically come you've you've completed your mission your tasks complete i was kind of flawed because i wasn't expecting it at all for me the first thing that kind of like hit me was this whole loss of innocence you know they're just kids and it doesn't just affect the girl of the little girl, you know, I can't remember what her name was with the lightsaber. It affects the whole lot of them. Like they've all been through this like little ordeal. It affects all of them. And the other thing, and I know this is like really dark, but for the Sith, the Sith we think it is, to like have a child do this, they've essentially preyed on a child. And again, that is so, so dark, especially when you think about all these like other themes. And this kid was basically doing what she needed to do in order to survive, which just proves just how bad the galaxy is, not just for, like, an adult, but for a child as well. I know kids have been, like, focused on different episodes, different things, but this one sort of, like, affected me the most and really made me, like, think. Okay, that's my thoughts. Mm. Yeah, um, this one definitely got me thinking because out of all of them, I thought this one was the most ambiguous in the sense of this whole sort of journey of Dal, um, you know, going to the cave. She feels like there's this sort of pull to her. There's destiny being entwined here. She encounters the the creature. Will, and I, it's a good shout. You said Banshee because in the, the panel, the creators did mention that they used Irish mythology, such as the ban uh, Banshee in this short. And as soon as they had that scream, I was like, yeah, they got the Banshee. Um, and I just thought there was some ambiguity about what they're trying to tell here in this story about light versus dark, because uh, uh, you are it's 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 complicated because you think yes, she's killing it, she's giving into a dark side, or is she putting out evil? You know, that's something that you have to consider. And then there's something with this appearance of this being. There's something to be said in in the okay. The design of the ship is very pointy. It's black. It's red. You're like, oh, Sith, but the very contrast of it coming from the light, you know, and then the very figure itself is all in white and gold, and you know, this sort of beacon of hope and and good. But then the eyes, you see, they're almost got like that yellow Sith eyes in them as well. So. I don't think this was very direct, which I actually found quite interesting when it comes to Star Wars, because Star Wars is normally very direct in what it wants to say. There's a very clear line between good and evil. Uh, and what I kind of liked about this short was that there was no clear line between good and evil. It left you at the end of it to kind of think about what you just watched. Uh, and yeah, it took a turn that I wasn't expecting. Like, you know, I thought this, oh, this would be fun. A ghost sort of Goonies type adventure, you know. Um, 
and, and the lead all the lead up to going to the cave I thought was wonderful like some of the visuals of them on the speeder bikes going across that water looks like so with the reflection stuff absolutely gorgeous I could get that printed and framed um, and another shout I'd say is the music for this one was incredible so eerie and scary and you know just using a lot of that single uh voice going oh you know chilling but also really beautiful and there's something beautiful in that eerie quality uh but yeah thematically i thought this was a really interesting choice uh but yeah it's one of the ones not one of my favorites out of the lot but definitely one of the ones that like sort of stuck with me the most in terms of thinking about it afterwards uh rob what do you think of screech's reach uh, so the first thing I will say is that this is probably one of the bravest vision episodes that they've done. I mean, we will come back to another episode later in terms of bravery, in terms of what they try to do statement wise. And whereas this one is more about a sense of belonging and a sense of feeling of you're embracing your own dark side within yourself because um, you have to remember at the very start of these, these are people who are in forced, basically forced labor camps, uh, forced manual labor, and they escape from that. Um, so, of course, there's going to be buried um, anger and hatred towards a certain hierarchical power, you know, so that's always going to be buried within what's what I, i've written down here and i don't think it's actually that fair. So I kind of want to take it back, but I'll say it anyway. But when I first watched this. I did think this feels like it's made by um, a group of filmmakers who wanted to tell this story first and it happens to be set in Star Wars. And whereas the second time I watched it, I then felt like, actually, no, this is by a group of people that purely love Star Wars and they wanted to tell this particular story within that realm. So it's the other way around, basically, is what I'm saying. And... I think the reason why I probably felt like that the first time is because I felt so connected to these characters at first by the point I was like, they don't feel like your traditional Star Wars characters. And especially, and this is something that before we started recording, I said, I didn't think I'd hear this in a Star Wars um, show or anything to do with Star Wars, which is kicking up the arse. <laughs> they say that quite a few times. Yes. And I didn't think I'd ever hear that in a Star Wars um, production at all. Um, you know, we've heard now swear words, but now, and I won't do the accent, but I do love an Irish accent, I have to say, but hearing... Na Niall will kill arse. you, don't, exactly, don't do it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I'll let him say kicking up he's, the arse he, the next He's got time. enough problems with Harfoots. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I I thought it was really brave what they did here with this particular episode. Um, you mentioned the music, completely agree, but I think for me, the, the standout particularly is um there's there's several, several things that stand out for me the first and foremost is the sound design the sound design in this episode is absolutely extraordinary the screeching of them of that creature of the i i would actually say rob the lack of sound design yeah exactly i mean there's the lack of sound design but when you hear that screeching itself it is ear piercing ear piercingly horrible and um i would not recommend um watching it during the day um, because your neighbours will be disturbed, um, by what is going on next door. Um, and basically I was playing it and my flatmate in particular even was like, what are you watching in there? <laughs> um, so that was a, that was an interesting conversation to have. Yeah. Cause uh, the night is so much better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just I watched it. it just before bed. Right. Well, they, yeah. 
So probably not as yeah, nightmare either way. fuel. Yeah, nightmare fuel. Exactly. Um, I think the thing that uh, you guys have mentioned it already, but um, it's the ending that really lands for me with this one because I think there's a lot of expectant expectancy for Star Wars because they do try their very best. They don't always do it, but they do ha sense, uh, tend to have a sense of either it's a bad ending, but also it has a little bit of good within it. Whereas this one is just a few, you, the best way I can describe it is you feel cold. You feel absolutely cold by the ending of this. Like there's two moments where you see this. Um, one of which is the ending where you literally close in on her face. When she, when she looks back, when she says that she would, yeah. Exactly. And then you see it the first time earlier when she looks back and the cave is collapsing in. So you see it the first time there, and then you see it the second time there, um, with um, which I assume is a Sith as well. But the interesting thing is, is that when I watched it the first time, I, I recognized who the voice was, but I didn't know who it was. And then I researched afterwards who it was, and I was like, well, of course that's Angelica Houston. And that's inspired casting. That's absolutely inspired casting to have her as this. Um, she's credited as the Sith mother in this. Um, and... Um, and I just thought that was absolutely, and it was really funny because I remember you, when we were watching the panel, Jake, and the guy even said, oh, we've got a famous Hollywood actor. And you turned to me and went, the agent is literally on their feet going, no, don't say anything more. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so true because if he had given that away, I think, you know, it would have been like, right, cancel it immediately. You know, we're not doing this, but, um, yeah, having her appear at the end and deliver the lines the way she does, it adds an ear of coldness, sophistication, um, and eeriness to the overall feeling that you get towards the end. And I actually thought the fact that you hold on black before the credits roll for at least three or four seconds, once that, that eyepiece closes on that ship, that is the filmmakers giving you the intention of this is a dark, cold feeling you're supposed to feel at the end. And I, I found that very refreshing to see in a Star Wars property. So another way, another way of putting it is I loved it. I really loved it. I really yeah, loved this, this episode. This is a great one. The only thing I kind of add as well is I noted that there was a lot of uh, symbolism in the amount of triangle shapes that were shown throughout as well. Like even from the very first shot of like, you know, the lights showing that all of like the bunks for all the kids. Sure all very triangular and then you go up to the sort of food chain in a sense it's all very triangular and even the sith ship itself has got all these pointy triangular shapes mm. the mound of creatures reaches like a, a point i just thought it was kind of interesting they were using that in the maybe trying to symbolize unity or mm. you know, importance perfectness and stuff like that i don't know that's a really good reading into it. I think that's I think that's a fair point. Um, I also want to give a huge shout out to the fact that um, it's a tra it's a traditional two D animation, and one of the things that you're taught very early on, or at least I was, which is um, it's very easy to when you're doing three D animation in particular, it's very easy to gloss eyes because you can do that within the software. You know, because we've all got like you know fluids and stuff in our eyes, and it always instantly you know anyway. But in two D to get emotion like the way you do, it, it the best way to sum it up is you've got to have a really strong story. And by the end, I did have a little lump in my throat when you see those expressive eyes from both those two characters in particular. And it is really hard to draw them, uh, uh, draw in that way and to get that feeling just through a single image. But to be able to do that 
with the story that they have as well. I just think they did a superb job. So big shout out to them. That's why, again, that's why I love animation as a medium because it is all using these different elements to get that singular moment. While I would say in live action, sometimes you may be more dependent on one thing or the other, on the actor's performance or on the particular music at this moment, you know, to get that emotion. While I think with animation, it's all combining to get to you that moment that hits you. And yeah, Rob, for me, seeing her turn around right at the end, because that was also the theme throughout the thing of like, you know, don't look back. And for her to look back at the end, it's just, oof. Yeah. It was a bit hurt that. Mm-hmm. Laura, any, anything else to add on Screech's Reach? I mean, the last like little note I've got, I completely missed this when I was talking earlier, was it can't, It was like, like I said, it was a great sort of depiction of like a loss of innocence. But it kind of gave me like Stand By Me vibes. Like the kids would go on an adventure. Obviously, they can Stand By Me, they find the dead body, but in this, they find like, um, like the banshee and everything that happens it like it stays with them and it's those sort of like events that like can define you as you grow up and like become like an adult because it's like it stayed and like haunted you so much like that was like another sort of vibe i got from this like i could totally see these like the kids she left behind growing up but they're still like haunting them like 10 years down the line that's what i got and it'd be it would be pretty cool to get a sequel to that to Screech's Reach but like have it be 10 years down the line say and see those like reunite but in obviously in different part stages of their life seeing where Del is and where her friends are that's what I'd like um I think we've all come to the conclusion that all of these need sequels yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah um, right, so yeah, let's move on to the next one. This one is called In the Stars. It's produced by Punk Robot, who are based in Chile. This one is written and directed by Gabriel Osorio. Uh, and the synopsis is, Two sisters, who are the last of their kind, fight for survival when Imperial forces discover them. Now, I would have to say, out of these four, this is the one that I probably connected to the most with. And in this, probably in a sense, because I maybe wasn't expecting to as much, you know, out of all the sort of visuals I saw in the trailer, Sith and, you know, some of the others that particularly stood out to me because of their bold animation style. But when I was watching this one and then got really invested in the story and especially watching it in Latin American Spanish as well to get these emotions, because it was the same actors who voiced both the English and the Spanish, um, for, for this one um just to get that raw emotion of these two sisters journey really really moved me um they were i would say maybe as a short execution wise it may be not as good as some of the others in terms of there was a bit more of exposition in this one and a bit more of explaining things which i think could have been done differently however the use of the explaining with like the mural and the the painting i thought was was wonderful um but emotionally, I just really, really connected to this one. And what this one was very simple and direct, you know, fight oppression, you know, fight, you know, save your culture no matter what. Um, it, and or season two, this was, you know, like <laughs> um, I was just really, really moved by this one. And particularly as well, really liked the animation style. Um, Rob, I'll ask you on this one. Is 
I sort of got the vibes. I'm not particularly sure. Is this kind of like stop motion meets 3D animation? I think you're right. I think it's a combination of those two things. Absolutely. And um, I think the way that you can tell from that as well is literally the scale of the sets themselves. Like, uh, I think that was the thing that really struck me, um, first of all, was that you've got this um, this world that they're on, this planet, as it were, um, where everything around them feels very small and empty. But that's the point. That's because the Empire has basically destroyed most of it. And then the Empire itself is this big extravagant factory, basically, within it. And then these characters feel small within it. Even the stormtroopers and the, the officers as well, they feel small within that world. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a combination of the two, as you said. Mm. And what what did you think of, of this short? It, overall? Um, I echo everything that you've you've said already. Um, the, 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 as you said, it is exposition heavy, but I think it needed to be. And there was no other way of really going around that, to be honest with you, because um, first of all, you're, you're very limited to the time frame that you have. Um, secondly, you're, you're limited to the, the, the production, um, itself in which you're, you know, trying to tell this particular, cause it would have been an astronomical challenge to, to build it, then destroy it. And then, you know, but to have these, um, but also it, the fact of the matter is that these, these drawings, um, and the, the, the spirits of the stars as, as it were, they play within the, the context of the story itself. And I think the thing that I found really extraordinary, apart from the scale of uh, this world that in which they created, um, one of uh, the things is the fact that this is a female-led story, which and a group of sis, uh, about two sisters. I thought that was incredibly refreshing, first of all. Um, I also loved the fact, and, I, and again, forgive me if I'm wrong, or if there is other stories where they have done this, but... This is essentially a story about the the questioning of the stars in Star Wars. And I've never really seen that before. And I just thought, what a really clever idea to tie in the star in Star Wars, but with the spirit of, of the people and the culture within Star Wars as well. And there is ideas in... Uh, I won't go too into this because it is, does sound very pretentious, so please forgive me. But there is this theory of when the sky is, um, you know, red and blue, you know, when you see it kind of like this, like kind of mosaic painting in the sky, it means that uh, an artist has died, basically. That's, it's a theory of... Uh, you wow, know, when, that is pretentious. It is very pretentious. <laughs> it is pretentious. But that's what people see. Um, that's what I kind of embody from it when I saw this whole notion. And they say at the end with the whole stars and... You know, there's our mother in the in the sky. She's in space. She's in the you know the, she is part of the universe now. She is the star that's guiding us within all of this. She is the light that guides us within all of this. And while again, it sounds incredibly pretentious to put it that way, but it is that is the intention in which the filmmakers and the storytellers are bringing across. Art is pretentious in its very it nature. So oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, so, so man. Don't, don't worry about that. Mm. No, absolutely. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, I, I liked the fact it was a very small scale adventure um, with a big heart at the end of it. Yeah, small small scale, but yeah, big heart. I, I when you I rang you and we talked about this one briefly. Mm. I particularly love the moment where you get the sense of the scale and that opening scene when the Tie Fighter comes in. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. God, it was just so well done. And you can almost see like these little miniatures and, and then this big TIE fighter. And I can imagine as model makers, they would have had a blast making that TIE fighter. <laughs> Loving the pun. Love it. Um, <laughs> um, of course, of course. Got to throw them in there. Um, Laura, what did you make of Into the Stars? I enjoyed it. I mean, I echo both of what you two said. There was parts of this, and especially when they were telling the story through like the paint and it gave me like Disney animation like vibes like Encanto or in Mohana when like they're telling the story of Maui through his like tattoos yeah that was like my first thing I jumped to was you could see there was inspiration through Disney but given the story it did work like that magical element throughout the entirety worked really well with it but the one thing I kind of kept focusing on was how obviously it was like a story sort of driven by grief and especially with how the two sisters handled it I mean, this again, the sisters kind of give me the whole, like, vibe of in Lilo and Stitch, like, Lilo and Nani. It gave me, like, the, how, how those two, like, works. Like, that was the gist I was getting. But what I liked was how they both dealt with the grief and the loss of them. With the char- the, they were both living in their own sort of world with it. The child was down the hall, you know, like, mother had, like, this power base. Like, We've got this power. We can do this. And... The, obviously the older sister's like no 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 like none of this is like true we can't like do this we have to do what we can to survive and you kind of don't know which one to believe because usually in those situations it's the child who usually it's the child who's like i'm not don't want to say wrong but it's the child making up this big fantasy when in reality the child was right all along they both have the force they both are magical in her her eyes basically so it was nice to see it from the child's point of view as such if you get where i'm coming from yeah it was i did like the way that they did depict grief because it was very real and very relatable i mean i don't have siblings but i could you know you've got this older sibling trying to look out for the younger sibling to basically be that parent figure you know it's it's sort of it's i don't want to say relatable because it's like I say, I'm not certain, but it's... You can understand it. You understand it. Like, yeah, so that's yeah. it. Yeah, you can understand it. Yeah, that's it. I couldn't think of the word and got it on the head there, Jake. But if they, the other message that I also got was even when someone's gone, they've never truly left us. They are still there in some form. No one's and I ever like really gone. With the, with the stars, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is very much a love letter to Star Wars in a way and like some of the themes that Lucas has set out and the sequels as well. But yeah, I also particularly really liked like what you're saying about dealing with grief and how relatable it is in a sense. Yeah, because it would be like if you had kind of two siblings who lost a parent, they would kind of cope with it differently, especially at the time of that loss, uh, the age of that loss and stuff like that. And I th- see i think it's very well reflected in these characters the older one being very much more of a pessimist and saying no like i've seen things you haven't seen you know the empire's bad there's nothing left but the child always being forever the optimist and having a bit of magic and moral of the story is listen to children people you know because sometimes they have things to say don't just dismiss them quite easily so yeah i really love how they handle grief and also again something that's really relevant to uh, modern day is you know the themes of environmentalism um, and imperialism as well you know of colonialism people coming over taking away your culture taking away your land uh, for them to make them uh, profit and in the result of that 
destroying your land and poisoning it, you know? Uh, so I, I really liked the sort of reflection in that as well of like the gas cloud smog all clearing up to reveal a beautiful world as it should be. So yeah, it's really powerful stuff and stuff that's just, it's there. It's part of Star Wars if you choose to look into it. And this one was particularly loved. And again, like you said, Rob, um, we're getting more, you know, women characters, which is fantastic. But again, these more dynamics of like sist sisterly dynamics is what we need. Because, you know, while not being officially brothers, you know, we got a lot of that between Obi-Wan and Anakin and stuff like that. Uh, and with Luke and Han and stuff like that. But I think we need more like actual sisters, you know, and, and actual sibling stories because uh, it, it's powerful. So, yeah. Laura, what, what did you think of this animation style as well? I really liked it. At first, I wasn't sure if it was stop motion or like just pure 3D, then realized obviously it like it was you know both in one um i thought it was like really like it was beautiful in its own way i loved the color palette i know it was mainly a dark color palette but i liked how even what was supposed to be like the good obviously side versus the bad side that they both had practically the same palette i kind of liked it it was minimal but it worked but th that blue of the water hit you though that like yeah really came it, out it was weird seeing blue for the Empire, because the Empire is obviously, you know, I was about to say red, white, and blue then. It's usually like red, white, right, oh God, red, white, black, and grey. So it was weird to see like this nice bright splash of colour on the Empire side. Mm. Mm. Definitely. And anything to add from you, Rob, on, the, on this one? No, I think uh, I think we've pretty much covered the basis of this one. It's a good one. So, and again, let's get more Chilean and South American people involved in Star Wars because it's nice to get their perspectives Unfortunately, due to technical issues, Laura's audio was lost at this stage in the recording, so it'll just be myself and Rob for the rest of the episode. Uh, so, yeah, and the last one we'll be discussing today is a home-based one, I Am Your Mother. This one is produced by Ardman Animations, obviously based in the UK. This is written by Holly Walsh and Barunka O. Shagnesi. Shaunessi, I think. I'm sorry if I'm butchering the name again. Uh, and the story uh, is and directed by Magdalena Osinka, who is based in the UK, but is originally from Poland, which we got to hear about her story um, on the panel as well. Um, this one, obviously, has a special place, I think, in all of our hearts, just because of our history with Ardman Animation being a probably the most successful animation studio to come out of the UK. Um, with projects, obviously, famously, Wallace and Gromit, Shaun the Sheep, etc. Uh, so when I found out that Ardman, well, they said that it was, you know, they were doing volume two and it's going global and that UK was going to be one of those people. Uh, and I was really secretly hoping, I was like, please be Ardman, please be Ardman. So when they announced that, I was like, yes. So I was very excited to see Ardman. I wanted to see Chicken Little in Star Wars. <laughs> uh, but we got kind of something different, but at the same time, very much in the Ardman fashion. But I will say, Again, that panel really helped to hear from uh, Magdalena Osinka, who came out to represent uh, the short and Ardman. And she was kind of talking about her, uh, her own personal experience of her relationship with her mother and, you know, how, how her mother was really embarrassing and stuff like that. And then as you grow up, you realize what your mother actually did to, you know, raise you up and stuff like that and how much she cared for you. 
Um, and then she also got to talk about her perspective of moving to the UK from Poland and how that's why she kind of based um, this story on Twi'leks to make them aliens because she very much felt like an alien when she came to the UK. Uh, and then finally, also gets, getting to hear a perspective of, you know, we obviously know that Star Wars is very much a father and son story, primarily. So she wanted to bring in more of the mother-daughter relationship side of Star Wars because that's just equally as important. So, yeah, it was really nice to hear uh, Magdalena's sort of perspective uh, when making the short. Uh, Rob, you were there. Anything to add in regards to the uh, her quotes uh, during the panel? Um, I thought she was, a, I mean, I should say all of the filmmakers um, had very uh, unique perspectives on their craft. Um, but I thought she was an absolute inspiration um, on the stage. I thought she was dropping bombs left, right and centre, basically. And I, I feel very um, blessed to have been one of the first uh, to have seen this first because... You know, we were in a screen, you know, as you said, we were in the panel and um, as soon as they said, right, we're going to stop the recording here. And I thought, oh, are we going to get another trailer? We're going to get this. And I never thought we would get this. So to be one of the first to see this was truly special. And um, her introducing the film, but also telling her story, but also bringing out the little robot do uh, oh, dog. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because she also dog. mentioned that her dog was quite a big part of her life as well. And I just thought, and as someone who's, you know, as you know, I've lost a, a Siberian Husky a few years ago. I just love the fact that she basically, uh, I, and um, forgive me, that she does name the, the robot after her dog. And I just thought that was just so... Z1. Z1. Yeah, and I just thought that, yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. And... I just thought she was um which an which she also mentioned uh, was a sausage dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great and like you said Rob it was fantastic to be able to see the short at celebration like uh, unlike you I did kind of expect us to maybe see something like uh, and I was even talking with my partner Chloe I was like which one do you think they'll show because you know May the 4th was only around the corner I was like they've got them all locked and ready they I'm sure they'll show us one. Um and then I thought, well, it kind of makes sense to be the Ardman one. We're here in UK. So, and yeah, so it was, it was really nice to actually get to see that. Um, and to see that in an audience, you know, to hear mm. the people's reactions and stuff like that was great. Mm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, you saw this at the panel with me. Um, so have they sort of feelings changed upon the rewatch or anything? Or So, um, yes and no. I will say. Um, so I should mention that I probably grabbed Jake's arm a few times uh, during the screening um, because there were certain moments which I'll get to where I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Um, but just very briefly, I mean, we've kind of, we've kind of uh, mentioned already our own, you know, like this is, you know, Ardman is ingrained in British culture and it's a part of, um, you know, our upbringing, as it were. You know, I grew up on the Wallace and Gromit movies. Um, there are three VHS tapes that I can name to you, which um, I wore out as a kid. One of the films is uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Don't Ask. Um, the other is The Wrong Trousers, and the other is um, Star Wars, the 1977 um, film. So, um, because I used to watch those three um, films every Sunday. We would either call it Star Wars Sunday or 
Wallace and Gromit Sunday or, you know, it was mainly Star Wars Sunday because it was just the quicker thing to, to say. So if I was going to visit my like grandparents or something like that, we would just stick those on because it was the best thing for me to just stay my, you know, keep my attention to. Um, so seeing Ardman animation and Star Wars combined together, again, I, it's something I would never thought I'd see in a lifetime. So the fact that I am very blessed to see this now and unfold in the way it has and to see it live at Star Wars Celebration as well, I did get choked up. I did get choked up. I got choked up about two things. One was the the short, which we'll discuss in another episode, but it was also this one as well, because there's a lot of history that I have with Ardman Animation. Like I got to meet the creator of Wallace and Gromit, Nick Park, when I went to um, my work experience and I got some incredible advice from him, which was, you don't have to be a nasty person to work in the film industry, which was such a relief to hear when you're working out, uh, your, like what you want to do with your life and where you want to go uh, in this field. So to hear that was inspirational. And then of course, going to Bristol University and then being so close to the animation studios and visiting the studios and even winning a competition where I was then connected with Ardman, I got to visit them and everything else. There is a rich history within all of this, which did influence my enjoyment for this short on the day of celebration. However, when I watch it back now and I saw it for the second time, did I see some flaws within this? Yes, I did. And the one big thing that I will say, because it's not really a flaw, I should say, but at the same time, I can understand why a lot of people would probably be put off by this particular style and this particular um, vision, let's say, of um, Star Wars. And the reason being is, and um, Laura said earlier, this is pure Star Wars. It absolutely is. But this is also pure Aardman as well. The amount of Aardman Easter eggs in here was absolutely extraordinary, but there's also so many Star Wars references within this. Number one, there was a moment where I grabbed Jake's arm and I saw the robot from a grand day out and I literally turned to him and went, do you know what this means? It means they finished the arc of his journey from trying to get off the moon to another planet. So we know that he survived and we know that someone clearly put maybe... 500 quids worth in his slot machine so he could live forever and travel across. So he is now canon within Star Wars. Well, sort of, but not really. But and it canon was Canon adjacent, yeah. Yeah, canon, exactly. <laughs> really break it back down for me, man. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it was... I just... I, I gleamed when I saw that because I was always thinking as a kid, oh, he's stuck on the moon. And once 5P goes down to zero, he's just going to stop again. And... But then seeing him there in that... oh. Yeah. Anyway, wonderfully charming is the best way that I can of, of almost sum up everything about this. I loved the fact that uh, Maxine Peake was also the voice of the mother within this. I've worked with her before, so he hearing her and you know seeing her there, I was like, "This is amazing! Like, good for you." And I worked with her briefly on um, a, pro a production for the NHS, so she's got a good heart at that, and to see her bring that motherly heart. Uh, into this short as well was just it's inspired casting choice as well um you had wedge antilles dennis lawson come back to do his, this wonderful comedic um performance within this and i think don't forget to buy my merch uh, yeah don't forget to buy my <laughs> merch exactly i love that and the thing that i can say as well as i said before this was ardman's take on star wars and i know that a lot of people will probably look at this and go well that's not my star wars and that's fine because at the end of the day, 
this is a reason why it's called Star Wars Visions, because this is their vision. If Aardman were to go off and do a dark tale or this, that, and the other, that wouldn't be their identity. That wouldn't be their vision. That wouldn't be what they that's, embrace. That's not Aardman. That's not Aardman, exactly. And that's the beauty of this particular one, where you can look at it and go, it's not all about the lightsabers. It's not all about all about the Force. It's... It's about family. At the core of Star Wars, it is about family. It's about connection. And to see the mother-daughter relationship play out in this way, my only criticism deep down, even though I said that there, there was a few flaws within it, but the, my only criticism was that it was, uh, it is the shortest one of the rest of this series. And I wish it could have gone on for, like, say, a Wallace and Gromit wrong trousers length of, like, 25 minutes. I could have easily seen it go on a little bit longer just so we could expand on that moment when she says to her, you are an embarrassment because it's such a quick beat change from you are an embarrassment to ready, um, um, red, red leader. Two. Yeah. Red, red leader, two yeah. and red two. Exactly. And I really wish it could have gone on a bit longer in that regard. And also I, I had never thought I'd hear a Wookiee swear and I want Wookiees oh. to swear from now on. I, I, I'm particularly in love with the Wookiee baby. When oh yes. <laughs> Oh yeah, where, where the little aliens are like teasing him, and then he breaks like the, <laughs> mm. the and and then they just close the the clock, put the latch on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what to add apart from what you guys have said. Like, it's just it is pure Ardman, and for them to do anything but Ardman would be a disservice to who they are. Uh, and so, yeah, there is pure Star Wars in terms of the themes and, and the stories that I play. But I also say it's pure Star Wars in the in the other stuff that makes Star Wars w that it is, and that is the silliness, the aliens, the the faster, more intense speed races, and you know it's a big part of the Star Wars DNA. And I think Ardman have gone, yeah, we can tell Star Wars because that's a big part of who we are. We take, we tell weird, wacky, funny, silly stories, you know. And I love that they've kind of brought that together with Star Wars because it just kind of makes sense that you would tell this silly story. And and all the, all the humor works for me, you know. I mean, it would work for me because I'm a, far, a fan of Ardman humor. I would be interested to hear like uh, people not from Britain how they would maybe uh, t you know react to some of the humor if they would maybe get it or if they would go over their heads, which is you know which is absolutely fine. That's just different culture perspectives, you know. There's prop there was I remember in Volume One there were certain things in Volume One which I was like. I don't quite get it, like, but I imagine for a Japanese audience, you know, they they totally know what that means, you know. Um, and it's very small, and you might miss it, but I think this is something that's just so British. Uh, it's when she comes to deliver her lunch, and they say, you know, get your porta potty off the off the line, and her mother just goes, "Hey." <laughs> <laughs> it's so small, but it's such yeah. a British thing to go, "Hey." <laughs> Mm. Wait, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, I just loved everything about it. It's charming. You know, it, I don't have any really major criticism about it, apart from, like you said, it could have been a, a bit longer. Um, but yeah, it's just if you want to have a good time in the Star Wars universe, put this on, you know? And also perfectly acceptable to show to any age of a child, you know? Some of the others you think, okay, maybe Screech's reach will wait till you're a bit older. <laughs> but... um. Mm. We can show you I am your mother. I will say as well, um, we, we've seen um, um, earlier with the um, stop motion stop, um, animation from the previous um, episode. But here, I, I know I'm probably uh, making a big claim by saying this here, but 
They're Aardman the best. Are they are one of the best, and if not the best in terms of stop motion plasticine animation, like absolutely, they are. No, yeah, and no. I, for and me, there's no question. Yeah, and I just thought it was so smooth and just beautifully done. Um, well, the colors, the bright color scheme of it was just. It's very vibrant. It's not your typical um, aesthetic for a, you know, Star Wars production, as it were. And But seeing it in that way and so... And this is one of the things I love about um, Plastine Animation, when I did it anyway as well, was you saw you see a thumbprint on the characters and that's where you know that each and every single frame is crafted and it's the thumbprint of a, of a human just there. And I... And I love that kind of texture there. And actually, that was something I should have mentioned in the last one, in the stars, is that you get to see that texture even further. And you see that texture in this one as well. And, you know, the British film industry as well has got a big history with the Star Wars franchise, the fact that they shot the first one over here as well. And so there was a lot of expectancy for them to do something grand and big. And in my opinion, they stayed humble and they stayed truthful to who they are as uh, as a animation production company which is pure fun charming fun <laughs> yeah there's no other way of putting it i think it's it's very nice full circle very much as in volume one where we're going full circle kind of back to where it all started with george's mm. influences yes this is also another full circle as in the sense of like from the beginning, Nick Park and all his team have been massive Star Wars fans. Yeah. And there's always Star Wars references in all their sort of projects. So Absolutely. It's, it's a nice full circle. I can imagine everyone at Ardman were like, we get to do Star Wars finally, you know. Mm. <laughs> it's almost like Pixar getting to do Star Wars. Like, you know, it's like, we would love to do Star Wars, uh, which... Lucasfilm, come on, they're just down the hall. Give them, give them a I was Star just going to say, they're literally <laughs> down the corridor. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, who knows? Volume 3? Who knows? Who knows? We'll see what happens. Because, you know, I can, I can probably safely say that there's going to be a Volume 3. For me, this seems like an easy business decision for, for Lucasfilm, you know? Because its animation is not as much risk as doing live action, as we've discussed before. They're shorts. They're not canon. You know, there's just so much of the pressure that you have when you're making a Star Wars project you don't have when you're making Visions. Um, so I, it's like a sure win for them because it's successful. Everyone's enjoying them and you doesn't have that much pressure. So keep doing them, I say. There's a couple of little moments I did want to bring up about the I Am Your Mother, kind of a funny moments. Um, it's two in the race. Uh, it's when the <laughs> um, one of the... The aliens, the like sort of green one with the two little kids. Um, he's so excited and then he just goes and he breaks off the, <laughs> the steering wheel <laughs> of the ship. And then the other one that I got a big kick out of uh, was when the baby Wookiee was just pressing all the buttons and then the Wookiee <laughs> pair was oh! <laughs> yeah. as that. the ship's just doing all that. I, I got a big kick out of those. Uh, but what about you guys? Any like particular moments that you made you really laugh and gone yet this is classic Ardman Star Wars uh I've mentioned already my love for the robot being um included from a grand day out but I also I mean it, it again it's a trope now that, I, that you see in all the Ardmans but the the speed bag uh being ex oh, exploded yeah. yeah the airbag exploding uh from the uh passenger seat 
at the end. That's now been in, I think, three or four of their um, Aardman productions now. Never gets old, um, though. It never gets it never gets old. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier the um, the car locking noise. Oh. Um, that's you know again. Even the priest in Wallace and Gromit, the Curse of the Were Rabbit, does it for his garden vegetables. You know, oh yeah, and they do, of course and he they does. Do it, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. they do it here with. Um, uh, oh, the, the, I liked also the reference to um, the Oscar um, film, the nominated film, the um, the seashell one. Marcel the she- seashell. Um, oh, the, one of yes, the aliens. Yes, yes. Yeah, looks like that, and uh, I thought that was really lovely touch. Actually, I thought that was. A lovely sign of respect, actually, um, from a, yeah. So, um, but, I mean, we could do an entire episode just listing the Easter eggs within this because there are so many. So Both many. Star Wars and Aardman. Like this yeah. Is so, so, yeah, um, like the others, please make more of these, Aardman, because we would love to see uh, Aardman continuing in the Star Wars universe. So, uh, yeah, that com- comes it off to the end of part one of our Visions Volume 2 rundown as we go through all nine of these shorts so we'll be back next week with the latter half of the show looking at the last five very excited for that uh in particular a couple that i can't wait to discuss uh with you rob it's, it's gonna be a blast but uh before we head out uh rob where can the people find you and what uh, what have uh, you got coming up uh, so the people can find me on Twitter at, at Rob Ailing Film. They can find me on Instagram at, at Rob Ailing. I am currently working on a uh, new short film production, which is called Punching Bag. Um, it's about a boxer dealing with his mental health in regards to boxing and his career, um, as well as his personal struggles. Um, and I'm also working on uh, not one, but two um, feature scripts at the moment. As well as, and long overdue, many people keep saying to me, um, I'm also working on my graphic novel, my first um, endeavor into a graphic novel. So there is that as well. Um, So yeah, uh, that's pretty much what I've been working on. Um, I also want to say a big, massive, um, huge respect, finally, a long overdue respect to the fact that they gave Carrie Fisher the Walk of Fame um, star uh, on May the 4th. I thought that was well overdue well overdue um i just want to say that that was amazing to finally see that happen and mark hamill and um carrie fisher's daughter giving wonderful speeches in honor of our princess may she rest yes you can also find me on twitter at and letterbox on twitter at sweaty jake and on letterbox at jake hart Uh, and you can find the monday lorians on twitter at the monday lorians and whether you listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever you use, please listen and subscribe to us on there and share us around to all your friends if they need a new cool Star Wars podcast to listen to. And if you can, wherever you can, leave us a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it as it all helps us go up in the rankings. So with that, um, Rob, I'm going to go to you because you haven't been in the show in a while. Mm. We normally come up with a different sign-off. Uh, based on the ep- on the episode that we've just discussed. So what would you say is should be our sign-off today? I think it's fairly simple what the sign-off should be. And I think it's thus. We can paint our own destiny. Mm-hmm.